Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast. My name is Paul LaFavor. I'm here with my Ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn. Uh, today is February 16th. It's uh, Friday. You know, just uh, just trucking right along with uh, 2024. Uh, I'm still trying to get used to writing 2024 and saying that. <laughs> I think it's, uh, you know, you got to get uh, a few months into it before you kind of settles in. But uh, today is uh, is awesome. We get to bring back one of our uh, previous guests onto the Pinelander podcast. He leads Silent Bridge, a uh, nonprofit organization. Does some awesome things around the world. Uh, last time we had Randy on was uh, March of 2023, uh, back in episode 66. So if you guys are out there, you want to, uh, we may not hit everything, the, all the juicy things that Randy and his organization are doing. You could probably hit that. And then uh, after you hear this one, of course, but uh, Randy, welcome back to the Pine Letter, sir. Oh, thank you, Paul. It's nice to be back. Well, it's, and the other thing, too, is uh, Randy's also a, a fellow podcaster uh, with, uh. Uh, with Shots Fired podcast. Uh, had a chance to listen to uh, some of the episodes there. Um, great service to uh, the law enforcement community uh, generally, uh, but even people that uh, aren't, aren't involved in law enforcement, uh, really good content on Fantastic. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, um, some days you have, you lose faith in uh, humanity. You know, it's so easy to do that. You know, you could, uh, you know, you you watch the news, you can quickly lose your faith in humanity. And there's certainly some evil things that are perpetrated around the world. Randy knows uh, all about that, the human trafficking. And uh, so it's always good to, to, uh, to know there's some um, sheepdogs out there. There's some people doing the right things, doing good things uh, that Randy is doing with Silent Bridge. But maybe, uh, maybe it could be good just to before we even get going is just just to remind everybody what you do and your heart, uh, where your heart is with all that, Randy. Hey, you bet, Paul. Well, it's you know the uh, you know uh, like I mentioned in the last the last podcast we did, you know. Um, you know, by the way, Pineland is a is a close to my heart, as you know. Is you know, I think Charles Beckwith was the commandant when I went through the Q course, and I, I was in Nick Rose third class. So you know, it's a that tromping around that area is a special place to me. Mm. And um, what you guys are doing is great. You guys influenced uh, me um, uh, starting the podcast that we have. Um, I just listened to your podcast and what great work you guys are doing. So I've got a long ways to go, but it's um, uh, coming along. But, you know, my, my passion over the years, I mean, um, I think some of the skills that we learned at some of the different schools that we went to, my, um, I mean, my experience of traveling around the world is probably many of the listeners have done, I'm sure, um, you know, led me to experience like I, I, I explained and 
the last podcast um you know it's a, the, the the name bridge came from an experience of seeing a girl that was a victim of human sex trafficking um right after an incident that happened to her and um uh she was walking across an old roman bridge to escape what had happened to her and i was a, a witness to it what had happened and uh, when she turned and looked at me um, she looked like my oldest granddaughter who i just saw two days ago just turned 14 and um it just you know it hit my heart you know i said it was a rock and like somebody hit me in the head with a hammer or a rock and um i said you know I'm gonna, this is now my problem you know and i'm gonna do something about it so i tried to figure out how to do it uh, uh you know all of us has been through some uh challenging experiences in our life and challenging schools i you know couldn't um quite figure out how to do it and became one of the it's one of the hardest things i've ever done to be honest with you is how to stand up a nonprofit and make it work to um with a goal of saving young women around the world mm. and our goal is to go um to places that other people don't want to go so our life experiences um of the people that are involved with silent bridge have uh, led us to some of the most austere places in the world and I think that um, that um, God prepared us for this, you know. Um, he gave us the knowledge, skills, and abilities to um, go to places that other people don't want to go because of either the danger or um, uh, the, uh, you know, just the environment is not very welcoming. And, um, you know, so we um, started uh, looking for these places years ago and um a lot of trips um some of us had experiences in those locations some of us didn't um and we identified locations that other people didn't want to be um other ngo organizations didn't want to go and uh, we saw um, that that was a place these were places that um uh, sex trafficking blossomed you know not only sex trafficking but you know human forced labor especially um, children or you know, under 18 years old. And so we looked at a lot that a lot of people were working on, not just children, but they were working on adults that were victims of sex trafficking. And we decided we needed to focus and narrow it down to, um, you know, a certain age group. That was the board's decision um, in group meetings. So our focus is on 12 to 18 year old girls and some of the most austere locations in the world um that are victims of sex trafficking um and that's you know that's, that's our passion you know it's kind of uh, that explains i guess to the listeners a little bit about um what got us started and what our focus is the uh, you know last year the sound of freedom came out and uh, you know it got a lot of buzz and a lot of people and, I, and thank goodness I'm, I'm glad people went and saw that movie i think it woke a lot of people up uh to some of the realities of, of what's actually happening all around us, uh, not just in the, in the very austere parts that, that you discussed, but uh, a lot of times uh, these people are brought out from these areas, and of course you, you end up you know, right here in the U.S. and in the various uh, cities here locally. Um, it, it's, it's sort of the currency, if you will, of, uh, of, the, of the shady, dark part of, of life that a lot of people don't want to... Uh, to face the reality of, but um, there's a lot of organizations that uh, are involved in rescuing uh, folks from that are involved in uh, trapped uh, 
got caught up in sex trafficking and what have you. There's a lot of organizations out there. I think one of the things that I really um, I like about Silent Bridge is your organization is it's it's a little bit different, and I think it's the part that people are not that familiar with. And it's though the rescue itself is very difficult. Okay, I'm, I'm not trying to take anything away from it. It takes a lot of planning, takes a lot of resources, it takes people with certain skills. Uh, it can be very dangerous. Um, but once you get uh, the 12 to 18 year old female that you're that you're talking about that your group uh, focuses in on what once once you rescue this young lady uh, from this lifestyle really the work <laughs> begins right there it's that the rescue is just one part of it it's it's a very big part of it it's a very important part but I think your organization really focuses on that that more difficult uh, less glamorous part which is okay now what do we do yeah, that that's exactly that's exactly true. That's uh, one of the things we saw when we first started the organization, and we brought some you know uh, people that are way smarter than me, which is uh, pretty common. But but we we uh, we put you know everybody in a room and went through everything, and we said you know what's missing with this, you know like what's missing with the human sex trafficking mitigation efforts, and what we came up with is is that you know everybody most everybody was into the rescue but nobody was into the aftercare, the treatment of, you know, like how do you make them as whole as possible again as you can? And then, so that's why we created, um, as I've mentioned before, we created, you know, our model is that we find a country that, that is austere enough, most people don't want to go, that sex trafficking is blossoming there. Um, we find uh, the right location to set the safe haven. We find a place to rent the safe haven from somebody that we can trust that's not going to talk about what we're doing, which is a lot of background work. And then we remodel it, we furnish it, we um, find um, the staff, um, we recruit them locally. We have uh, 21 foreign nationals that work for us now full time overseas um, in different countries. And um, then we train them. Um, and then after they're trained, we start the rescues. And we do both soft rescues and hard rescues. Our preference is to do soft rescues um, to allow us to maintain rapport with the local community and law enforcement so of that country so that we don't get you know exiled from that location. Um, it's a very it's a unique balancing act, and every country has uh, you know, as as you both know, has unique characteristics, which you can do in country A, you can't do in country B, which you can do in country C, you can't do in country D. Um, and, um, you know, so, yeah, you're exactly right. And you're right, that movie brought out a lot of what, um, uh, you know, the challenges of um, sex trafficking around the world, and, and it, it made people, it increased um, awareness, situational awareness of what's going on for people. So I'm happy for that. Um, the they have a different focus than we do. Um, you know, our focus again is the aftercare. And uh, as we get more into the podcast, I can talk about some people. You know, some other folks we've been teaming with, and and um, they're influencing us, and I think we're influencing them on how we create an accreditation process. Because as you travel around the world and see people that are trying to do this, you see there's no real standardization of how to make these people, you know, these young women whole again, 
um, and what techniques work and what don't, and how do you share that with other people? Um, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, <clears throat> I love how uh, you know someone listen to this. You may not even had awareness uh, of the prevalence of uh, human trafficking. That's something we talked about in the last podcast back uh, almost a year ago. But uh, I mean, could you just tell us uh, just just kind of give us a little bit of metrics or like how, how prevalent is that human trafficking? Uh, and I, cause I do want to circle back around to what you were just talking about as far as your, uh, uh, you know, strategy for taking them out and how you make them whole again. But just, if you could just tease out some of those metrics. Well, it, yeah. And even on top of that, Randy, if you could, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure, but I would imagine with the uh, situation with the open borders down South that it's, probably even getting worse. I can't imagine it getting any better. Oh, it's phenomenal. I mean, so if you just go CONUS based, you know, particularly in the U.S., uh, just an example, every, how many people drive by a truck stop every day? At every truck stop you drive by in the United States, I can guarantee you there's sex trafficking going on. The handlers are dropping the girls off. They're, they have, they're using backside websites. People, truck drivers are calling in. Um, not, you know, I mean, Truck drivers are good people, right? But there's always people that, that aren't. Right? But truck stops are a place for this to happen, and it happens all over the country. That's in the U.S. And uh, handlers drop drop these women off. Uh, there's a, a phone number that the people can call. Uh, the girls end up in the truck for ten minutes, and they're gone, and they made a little bit of money, and they're handled. That's just part of it. That's just the thing that people don't see. They drive by every day. If you go on the border, you know, we did it. We went. Uh, on the border um, down in San Antonio, and we were up in Terrell County uh, in the western part of Texas this last year um, doing some uh, research, and it was just amazing what's going on down there. There's uh, very little, almost non-existent um, uh, help there for women that have been trafficked coming across the border, uh, and it's huge. The cartels are moving them across the border. They bring them across and, and a lot in, in some very austere locations that don't have a lot of manning there. And uh, once that woman is across the border, she's linked up with somebody that's on um, the northern side of the border. And then they go through usually a series of safe houses um, in uh, different states. And they'll end up where they want them to be. And they have to work off their... Uh, transportation fees by the mules from the cartels and uh, if, if people have to do is internet's a powerful tool look on the internet and type in you know human sex trafficking ring busted you'll see where these women came from they came from south and central america some of them came there's ukrainian women that ended up in this in, uh, environment in the united states that uh, are being arrested you know the federal side of it is hsi has a special um a uh, unit that deals with sex trafficking both in the U.S. and works with overseas with Interpol, et cetera. And um, uh, it's a huge problem in the U.S. Now you start transitioning over to overseas. Of course, Africa, uh, you know, horrible poverty in Africa. And you you got about three choices in some countries in Africa right now. You know, you can um, become radicalized if you're, you know, up in Timbuktu or Mopti or Sever. Um, or in Chad or in Burkina Faso, um, you can become radicalized and get an AK-47 and go out and fight against people and pick out whatever woman you want from a village. Um, or um, 
you can um, you know sell yourself on the street. That's what some uh, women do. And eventually they get pulled up uh, by some trafficker and move somewhere else. Um, you move to the Philippines. I, I talked to the lady that was respons as responsible for the country of the Philippines for human sex trafficking. And uh, it was uh, not, not that many months ago. She told me that uh, there was 932,000 documented women that were sex trafficked overseas from the Philippines last year. That's almost a million women. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just trying and to take in that number right now. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a huge amount. <clears throat> that is, uh, I mean, so just when I hear numbers like that, and in light of uh, the porous uh, characteristic of our border, you 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 uh, you got to know that this is coming to us. It's coming to uh, a town near you. The awareness of this. I mean, you got to be. Uh, we got to keep our head on a swivel. And I think when I hear something like this, it's like, hey, not only awareness, it's prevalence, but you know, I, I could uh, I can make a difference. And you're certainly making a difference. Uh, and, and just going back to that one thing, you, uh, you're talking about a, a big aspect of what you do is not only getting, is recovering these young women uh, and these people, but uh, you know, putting them back together, you know, and, and um, I think um, that's something we just kind of forget about. You know, I mean, well, we, we just think, you know, you get them, then they're good, but uh, it's, Kind of so, like we've talked about before is that, you know, the body keeps the score. Well, the trauma is still there. Sometimes this is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is this, some of those times this is like generational too, isn't it, Randy? I mean, sometimes these young ladies um, almost grow up in this sort of industry. Um, maybe their parents well, they, or their mothers. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining some of these ladies that you rescue, I mean, really need some work. Oh, they need a lot of work. And I mean, that's what, so you see the uh, in the movies and the shows that are done about this, not to belittle any of that, but they really don't show the, the aftermath of after they recovered. And, um, and they've lived, most of these young women and, and the women have lived in a, a life of insecurity. You know, they've been groomed, you know, beaten and put in a room for two or three days and beaten continuously to submit to what they're going to be exposed to the rest of their life. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, you know, it's, it's a, a horrible, horrible environment that most of them been in. So you see the movies and you see the people, they're rescued, but what happens afterwards? Well, for us, for example, one of the first things we got, we got to get a medical care. Some of them haven't had dental care their entire life. Some of them have not had a medical checkup their entire life. And so we got to get them in. You can imagine um, the injuries, the medical care, the, just that part is one of the first things. The second thing is, is um, trying to determine through the staff and their interaction with them to couple them with a staff member that is like almost a one-on-one -on -one person they can always go to. And it can be different because it's like, you know, how human personality is. You know, I gravitate towards you. I gravitate towards this person. And when, when we figure that out, then that becomes their kind of their mentor, if you will, to kind of help them get through this process. And... Um, and some of the girls are young. I mean, you know, one girl we rescued from a, that was at a pig farm, um, uh, you know, had no parents and was it was uh, not only forced labor, but other things. Um, I mean, she was just a broken person. I mean, I, it was I mean, the ride back uh, in the car with her. Um, 
yeah, I had to look out the window. I mean, I, 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 I didn't have a dry eye the whole way, the, how broken this kid was. And, um, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, and then, then you got the process about the build, rebuilding process and the rebuilding process. We've, well, one thing we, we do at each place is uh, um, traditional dance you know, their identity of the country that they're from, because they've lost that in most cases because of the environment they've been in. And so we have dance instructors coming and teaching them the traditional dance. And um, we find that that's an opening thing. We have a, one of the safe havens, we have, um, you know, a dog, you know, that, that uh, came in as a puppy when we did, when we first filled that safe haven up. And that is, you know, the kids go out every day, the girls go out and they, they so those girls are mostly under 16 and they're playing with a dog every day. They got some one-on-one -on -one time with the dog. They got the dance instructor comes in. They do singing lessons. I mean, all these things help them become, try to feel normal again. You know, and I always have a saying, everybody's normal till you get to know them, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, we just want to make them as, as uh, uh, normal and feel as normal as possible so they can reintegrate back into society. But most of these girls, we're going <clears> to, <throat> we're their family now and we will be forever. I mean, you know, in most cases, um, a lot of donors ask me, what are you going to do with these girls after you have them? I said, I know they're, they're mine for life. As long as I'm alive, you know, they're, they're mine. I'm going to take care of them. Then most, uh, they, they call me uh, a papa. <laughs> You know, uh, I, yeah. I talked to them. I talked to them once a month on Zoom calls and uh, they're all in the room. And I some of the smaller safe havens, I talked to them individually. The other ones I talked to them as a group and just let them know that, uh, you know, they're loved and that uh, God's in their life and God's going to watch over them. And we're going to watch over them and and we're going to get them uh, out back into society in some way, shape or form for those that can't return to society. Um, you know, we'll take care of them. Well, my, my guess is the need is uh, bigger than, uh, than what you have. So, I mean, how do you, how, you know, how are you expanding and trying to keep up with the, uh, the demand of, of, of uh, this? Um, I, I just, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's gotta be frustrating. I think uh, saving, saving uh, someone is, is, wonderful and uh and it's fantastic but at some point you got to be thinking about all the ones that you're just not able to to, to you know to save and to, and to, to make a difference in, and, and how, how are you keeping up with that well that's the hard part mike i mean it's it's you know that that um i had to turn down taking some uh, uh kids here um, a couple times in the last month because they were just out, out of you know it's only so much resources and funding and um you know um, space so it, it yeah it's space and um i just had to have some carpenters come in and build six new bunk beds at one place because you can't it's so austere it's at fourteen thousand five hundred feet elevation that safe haven and you can't uh just you know go down to this local store and buy a buy a bed <laughs> so right. i had to have carpenters come in and build you know build it you know local carpenters Cut, you know, cut the trees down, you mill the trees, and you, and you build the beds, and then you get you know, mattresses, we can get there by, you know, a caribou. Um, but um, uh, it, it's a challenge, you know, it's, it's a challenge. And you know, we have a footprint now, uh, pretty substantial one in the Asian Pacific region, one in Europe, 
and now South and Central America. And uh, as I said, we got a team going to Africa um, next week. Um, and we got uh, we just had our about our tenth or eleventh team come out of a war zone. Um, they've been in there 10, 11 times now. We have a safe haven there. Um, and uh, they're you know been dodging cruise missiles for the last uh, last couple of months off and on. So it's been uh, you know a tough environment for them, but they're doing a great job and uh, um, courageous, courageous people. I'm really proud of what they're doing there. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a challenge. There's such a huge need out there. Um, and I don't know. Uh, we just uh, every I just uh, pray every day, especially the first of every month, that <laughs> I can take in you know five or ten more. You know, um, and that's what we try to do. Okay. And we're still trying to. We want to stay in our founding theme, which you know, when you're trying to get donations, it's a challenge because if you show a whole bunch of videos and pictures and all that of the kids, you know, it 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 uh, it tears at people's hearts. But I also want to protect their identity, so you know. Um, our founding theme was it's not, that's why we don't say our who, what our names are, who we are, what we've done um, uh, on the website. You know, we don't. Uh, it's not about us. You know, it's about the young women who were subjected to human trafficking. And so we we remind ourselves that at every board meeting we read a statement about that. That when it becomes about us and not about the girls, then you know we're we, we're not really people aren't welcome on our board. <laughs> so our, our projects well let me um, let me ask this because because that is true I, and I know that about you personally I've, you and I've known each other for for quite a long time now um but talk about your team a little bit what, what you know what uh what, what kind of people do you have on the team and what kind of specialties do they have yeah that's uh, that's a great question so uh the are we just were able to get enough money to hire a donation manager recently and that per that um person came from an organization that uh she did an extremely good job of um uh raising money she had a she's had a background in, in uh, um, uh testifying against sex traffickers um around the country um in a specific uh, some specific locations and that's been she's been immersed in that for years but she also has a strong background in um, um, uh, uh, donations. And so we brought her on. She's doing a phenomenal job. They just redesigned the entire website. It's going to get relaunched next week. And I'm so impressed with it. Um, of, uh, it really tells the story without revealing. It's been my challenge revealing the identity of the, uh, of, um, uh, the residents that we have in the safe havens. Um, the uh, other people, I mean, the person that manages uh, country um, um, uh, A um, owns a clothing factory in that country, um, him and uh, his father do. And um, they um, uh, uh, have just this passion for God, you know, I mean, to, to try to help save these kids. And they run uh, three schools that have 100 kids each that have been brought from a area that is um, um, been radicalized tremendously. Um, and these are young Christian girls that um, a lot of their parents have been killed because of the conflict in that region. Um, uh, the person that manages uh, Country B, the country manager I have there, um, he was a pretty accomplished soccer player um in that area and he had started a small nonprofit in his country to give back to his people he lives in new york and um 
uh, that speaks the language and knows all kinds of people there in that in country B. Um, and he uh, um, just has a passion for this, you know, and he's got a lot of uh, great communication skills. And um, he's the one that has been able to reach out and find the staff for us and um, vet the staff, um, interview the staff, and um, they're just doing it. Uh, he's done a phenomenal job. Uh, staff member we have over in the European region, country C. He's a retired police officer from the um, United States and a retired chief in the United States. And um, he lives outside of uh, the war zone and manages the teams going in and out of that, uh, out of the war zone. Um, he's doing a phenomenal job there. Uh, he has a strong technical background, which is we're bringing um, technical uh, capabilities to bear, um, as I mentioned before, we started the podcast uh, on the traffickers. Um, uh, that's kind of a, just a, the, the person that we have for um, uh, the, the D region, if you will, kind of the, uh, south of the border. Um, that person was a um, um, work for, um, uh, he actually ran the fugitive apprehension unit for the uh, 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 Border Patrol for years, if I remember everything right on that. And uh, he um, is doing a phenomenal job traveling around and identifying locations we put safe havens. Um, yeah, that's just a, kind of a little bit of background. The people that are on the board are from uh, places that uh, all three of us have uh, had a footprint in. Um, the majority of them, a couple of them are business owners. Um, our major donor, um, for one per uh, country C, um, she is the heir to uh, two large corporations. And last year she donated about uh, $1.1 million to um, uh, the causes um, in uh, uh, country C. And she's, she's a phenomenal donor and a phenomenal lady. She writes a lot of articles for New York Times and. Wall Street Journal and all kinds of things, and and uh, just about human trafficking to keep it uh, visible to the population, um, not only in our country but uh, overseas too. So that's kind of a flavor of the people. Um, some people have a lot of experience doing rescues, and um, they have. Um, we've partnered with another organization that is uh, uh, a bunch of, of current law enforcement officers that uh, take two weeks off at a time. And um, they're going to become uh, uh, our arm for doing the, the hard rescue. So there's a separation between when we do a hard rescue and what our people do in the triage piece and taking care of them. Well, it sounds like you've got a really wide variety wow. of talent yeah. and uh, people from all walks of life, which is which is fantastic. Because, yeah. um, you know, we it, it's just nice having people come in from different backgrounds, different experiences, because they really enhance the overall team, you know, because they bring – they bring that talent with them. So sounds like you've you've got a nice little mix there. But you're always growing, aren't you, Randy? Oh, it's yeah. It's it's become a it's a full time job besides trying to raise money. I mean, um, you know, it it really it really is a full time job. You know, and then and I'll, and I learn every day about something unique at a you know in the country. You know, one country is predominantly Hindu. You know, and so there's certain things you can and can't do there. There's certain things that they want to be said, not said. I learned a lot about donors. Some donors call and say, well, I'll donate money, but you have to um, teach this to the to the girls. And I said, well, it's kind of hard to walk into a country that, that all the girls are Muslim and tell them you got to 
and plus with the population that's around around the um the safe haven you know you, you know all that can turn bad real quick you know and so people ask like are we a faith-based organization it's just we are but we have members on the board that are members of all faith and that's been a huge uh huge um uh benefit to us um uh, in so many ways in these countries because there's a lot of things i thought i knew that i didn't know you know uh, about certain religions and certain cultures and these people have been uh, just amazing at um educating me on what will work and not work and then you know it's the things we learn in the military you know a course of that course of action analysis you know um and we look at so we do course of action a b or c you know and and these people give us their input. Well, you got to consider this. You got to consider this from the local population. You got to consider th that what the repercussions may be if you start doing this in the area. Um, so, uh, I mean, an example, I, I, not too long ago, I went through again the largest brothel in the world. Um, it's about 8,000 population in the daytime, and at night it blossoms at 15 to 18,000. Wow. Um, so uh, the, the, the line of people, but, but walking through that brothel, it's a place that most people that look like me don't go. And uh, um, uh, it, it was very unusual for them to see me in there. And they go go through that place and to see, um, you know, it's a city. I mean, it's a walled in city. And, and to see the young girls that are in there, what they're going through, um they tried to hide a lot of those girls um but you know I, some of them popped out and i saw them and of course they you know went right back in because they weren't supposed to be on the street but um and then i mean one of the most moving experiences i had there was um seeing two women it's one of my favorite pictures actually seeing two women that were in their 70s that had been in that brothel since they were 13 or 14, uh, probably they ran away from being a child bride, ended up, you know, ended up in that brothel. Mm. And I mean, they're missing almost all their teeth. They now they're not useful inside the brothel. So they spend the day kind of wandering around, you know, begging to get food or, or clean water or something like that. It's another part of human trafficking we don't see. I mean, there's no senior citizen home for these women. Um, and uh, I'll send you that after this. I'll send you that uh, the picture of me with these these two women. It was just heartbreaking, you know, to you know, uh, yeah, we see them. I, yeah, we don't mm -hmm. ever think about the post brothel mm -hmm. uh, time. Uh, what happens to these ladies in retirement? We, we, we never, no one ever thinks about that. Yeah, so you get the children, and you get the. You know, so we're one of the goals we're trying to do is also develop a program where we can take, because uh, a lot of people go, well, they could have just left. You can't leave this place. <laughs> There's cars at every door. You know, you're not getting out of there. And if you get out of there, they're going to find you and gonna, you're going to be in trouble. And so, but we're trying to negotiate um, in that one and another one where we can um, have a plot of land right outside so they're not gone, because that's really their community. And, um, but where we can take care of them. It'd be a small senior care home, uh, you know, um, and uh, I can't even imagine what these ladies were like. I remember after hugging them, somebody commented to me, said that they're, they're like, they're considered untouchables, you know, and they couldn't believe that I did that, you know, and these ladies were just, uh, the picture's actually them crying because I hugged them, you know. Um, they haven't uh, had probably anybody show that they cared for them for many, many years. Wow. Yeah, and yeah. I uh, I don't want to, you know, miss the, uh, 
the chance to say that what's what's motivating you to do this is the love of Christ. That's why you, well, that's why you're doing what you're doing, to be his hands and feet to go out and do that. I mean, I see, I hear that, and I see that in your and what you're saying, and uh, I know you interact with uh, the other organizations, but that's that's at the heart of what you're doing. It is. I mean, it's it's uh, there is. Uh, I mean, I, ha- I have to trust in the first of every month. I have to trust in God that that uh, you know there's going to be the capability to um, take care of these, uh, continue to take care of these kids. And sometimes it doesn't look like that's going to happen, you know, and then all of a sudden somebody comes out of the woodwork and, and, you know, boom, you know, uh, it just happened this month. Actually, it was pretty close to having a couple of challenges and, and just the last minute, you know, God provides. Um, he, he is, uh, you know, lit the path for me in, in this, uh, and it's, it's made me closer to God. You know, I mean, really has because, um, you know, you just have to trust, you know, when you're, when you're going to go on a journey like this, you got to trust, you know, and uh, that it's going to be provided. But, but the reward that I get, I mean, I tell people, like, you know, I had this, my dream house in Texas. I built this, you know, I wanted to build this house for years. And I built this house down there. It was on the water. It was just a, it was a gorgeous place, you know, it had a dock everything I had my texas truck in the garage it was my second home and i was going to spend my time down there and i went on this trip into a country austere location i come back and i go like i don't i'm flying back at 23 hours 24 hours of transit i get back to the house i hadn't been there for a month or two and i take the old truck out and the truck out and I'm, this realtor pulls up and says hey i've got a couple months to your house and it's not for sale he comes inside and um i said well, i'll show it to you so they, they come inside and they look at the house and and he said, sure, you don't want to sell it. I said, no. So the couple really likes it. I said, no, it's not for sale. So they leave and I go, you know what? I don't need this damn house. I should sell this house. And I could come up with the money to do the safe haven in country B. Mm-hmm. And uh, right then the realtor knocks on the door again. So I went and showed him another house. I'll give you a hundred thousand over market value. I said, sold. That was, you know, God into action there, you know? And you know what? I, I haven't, you know, um, Paul, Mike, I haven't missed that house one bit because every month I see I'm zoom calling to these different countries and I'm talking to these girls that are the youngest one we got, I think is seven now. And, uh, well, actually we have one that's two months old. I can tell you the story about that, but, but, uh, I'm looking at these girls and they're talking to me. They're happy. They're smiling. They're sending me videos of them going to traditional dance and singing. Uh, they called me in, uh, in a zoom call and, wish me happy birthday recently, you know, that is way more reward than, uh, uh, that house. Hey, Randy, I got to sneak in here. Um, two scriptures just came to my mind. I think it's, it's, uh, it, it just resonates in what you do. Uh, the first is, uh, of course, James, uh, one twenty-seven, uh, and you're living that out pure and undefiled religion for God. And the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And so by extension, you have those uh, widows, those orphans, those who are, who are made, uh, they're put into trouble. And you, you're definitely going out in, in, in harm's way into these difficult reached places to do that. And then the other one you just said is, uh, of course, that that's my favorite parable. In uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field 
which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And I see that you saw the, the treasure of those lives, of those children, of those troubled ones, and you, you sold your dream <laughs> to, yeah. to gain this treasure. And so that is, that is beautiful, well, fantastic. And, and Randy, on, on another note, um, how does somebody donate to the Silent Bridge? I mean, how, what's, do they go to the website? I mean, what's the easiest way to, uh, to keep you keep you rolling and keeping the team doing what they need to do? Yeah, they, they can go to the website, you know, silentbridge.org. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, assuming that this podcast is going to be, like, come out next week or something, by then the new website should be up. It's going to be oriented differently so that you can donate um, by country. So somebody mm-hmm. that, that has heard this podcast will actually see the countries we're operating in then. And uh, they can donate by country because some people may want, uh, you know, they want to donate to Africa or they want to donate to, you know, um, the Asian Asian Pacific area. They want to donate to the European region where this is going on because uh, and so that'll it'll be a little bit easier for them and they'll see what we're doing in those areas. Um, they won't see the, the actual location of the safe haven. And some people, too, may, you know, we're, we're going to be doing engagement trips this next year. And we have some people going on an engagement trip actually in February. And so on an engagement trip, they pay their way to, they pay their airfare and their, their lodging and stuff, but we provide all the support mechanism. We vet them and they get to, they're with one of our, they're they're with our staff and our team the whole time. They get to actually see what's going on. Yeah. See see the good that you're doing. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's important. I think that people, know where their um you know where their money's going to it doesn't take a lot of money i mean it's i mean one place you know we, the the you know, the girls that we send them to a private school it's not the kind of private school you would think but it's a private school in that area um and it's a it's a well-run school but the facilities are not very good but the teachers do an excellent job it costs us like you know four hundred dollars a year for them to go to school almost completely like 12 months a year i mean they and, um, you know, that's a, a small amount. Um, uh, we, we, if they want to support a teacher like uh, Country B, you can't go to the capital is where all the colleges are. You can't go there from an outlying area and really do well in college unless uh, you speak English. And there's a, not very many English teachers. So we provide English teachers to these small villages that have 200 or less students. And the English teacher spends an hour in each class, one through six, and so that they have a basic understanding of English by the time they get ready to go to college. Because in that country, you start going to college at about 16 versus the U.S. at 18. So, And those people become our eyes and ears, too, for girls that are becoming victims of sex trafficking. Um, so I hope that uh, helps a little bit. I did want to share one story, if we have a second, just real quick. Yeah, you know, one, one, of the, one of the girls, that we, it's something I never expected to have a deal with, that we rescued um, uh, last year was last May. Um, she started uh, showing signs um, after we rescued her, and she was 13 when we rescued her. She was raped by a 28-year-old man. And um, But the staff, through the outreach program, the classes we've been given to the local police, um, they that rapport was developed, and they worked with us. And he's been arrested. He's going to prison for 12 years for raping a 13-year-old. But then the thing I had was now I had this, she's pregnant. What do we do with this? Yeah, right. With this, 
baby, you know, and and we went through this process and and uh, we uh, so the staff developed a nursery, we funded it, and the baby uh, lives there. We hired a nanny so she continues going to school. And uh, all the girls that are under 16 uh, at that safe haven, they've all surrounded uh, this young girl to help her. They've all become, um, you know, sisters. So, the, yeah, the baby girl just turned two months a couple of days ago. So, um, but anyway, wanted to share that story. It's, uh, you know, never thought we'd have a little baby want to save it, but we do. Well, it's, I think it. I think one can even, I mean, I don't, I'm not an expert or anything like that, but you'd almost think that would be almost like therapeutic. I mean, uh, it's, it's a sense of family where everyone can get in there and uh, help with the raising and uh, the nurturing and all that. So it's, I, I think a lot of that probably is helping them also kind of adjust back to normalcy. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing, Mike. It really is. Um, I, I hope that one day you guys can uh, go on one of the engagement trips or something and come over and, see a couple of places uh yeah we got a, uh we got a link up at yeah, some point yeah, yeah that's absolutely, absolutely let's absolutely plan on that um yeah, it's, mm-hmm. yeah go ahead i said it's life it, it, it's life changing I mean, it, it's uh, changed my life that's for sure well there's no doubt about that let's uh if we can i'd like to transition uh for the little bit of time we have left kind of kind of into the podcast uh talk about what you're doing over there at uh, shots fired well, you know, uh, yeah, thanks. The, this idea kind of came out of, I had a, um, you, you know, I worked in law enforcement for, you know, a long time. And, um, uh, you know, that's my, my military career. So, and I um, uh, have been around a lot of officers have been wounded in the line of duty or had been in shootings and been, you know, traumatized by the media, you know, and, and the local city councils and, and stuff like that and and i was like you know i said i have all this trauma i've seen with these girls and i said what about the trauma that's happened to cops especially after all the riots that happened several years ago and i was on the forefront of those riots protecting media for six months you know at at the the biggest places of biggest parts of the protest i got tear gas like 37 times wow and um uh, and so I thought, well, I want to do something. So I started, I knew so many people that have been either wounded in the line of duty or whatever, and, um, or had been in shootings. And, and so I said, let me, let me start a podcast so we can tell the story because I mean, I'm trying to work on a book called false narrative about, you know, law enforcement in the United States. Um, and I said, this will help me do that. Number one, and maybe I can do some good to these people, for these really great people that got injured um in the line of duty and uh, basically you know it's a pretty easy format you know simple format as we just we want them to tell a story about who they are in the beginning that's kind of the first segment well you know, what's your background what caused you to become a police officer the second part is you know what was your experience at the police academy what was it like what was the best lesson you learned um and then what was your experience with your field training officer when you went out and became a you know actually we're on the streets for a while and uh, under the supervision of a mentor and what was the best lesson you learned and then we transition into the um the actual incident the event and um um from that event you know we just let the person tell their story about what happened why did they uh, you know why did they um uh, what was the decision that made them um discharge a weapon uh what led up to it 
but and then we go into what impact did it have on them and their family long term and um uh, we uh, we've all heard of the iceberg model probably you know that 10% above the waterline, your current conscious level, and 90% below the waterline. Those are the slides that are in your subconscious about events that have happened in your life, good or bad, and how did you survive them? And I, uh, we do a lead at, at uh, towards the, uh, before they tell the event that happened to them. And it's striking every time I, I tell them a story. So you're driving the coast, you're in a car with your best friend, you guys are uh, gotten off work and you're gonna go to the coast for the weekend and um, uh, meet with some other other police officers. And as you're driving, a uh, elk comes comes out in the middle of the road, you hit it, an elk comes through the windshield, it kills your best friend. I said, you would remember the date, the time, the name of the paramedics that showed up, the, the, AM, the ambulance number, the name of the police officer that showed up, how many miles were on your car, when you last had your oil change, you would remember the last word, your best friend, said before he succumbed to his injuries and then we have them talk and they it's like that i mean they remember and this is like shootings that happened 20 years ago they remember every single detail and um we've gotten some great responses to the podcast we've had uh, police some police academies are using it now as reading required reading for their police officers going through the academy because you know most folks are involved shootings happen at 10 feet or less. And we're seeing more and more police officers killed in the United States. And a lot of that's because of hesitation. You know, nobody wants to end up in prison, you know, and, and so hesitation kills, as we all know, and um, making the right decision at the right time is important. So we're hoping that the podcast will educate people, new police officers on that and educate the public on what cops go through. It's not, they just pulled the trigger and they went and put their, 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 took their uniform off, went home, and it was a great day for them. That, that's not what it is. And that's what this podcast does. It explains that there's um, a huge impact and injury to the officer, the family, and in some cases, obviously, the community. Yeah, I think uh, all this, uh, I think that podcast, for me, you know, having not lived in that, uh, the situations, but it kind of brings, you know, that the perspective, you know, the law enforcement perspective. You know, a lot of people see the law enforcement as, you know, not needed. And they don't, you know, obviously this is completely irrational to defund the police. And they don't think through those things. And I think uh, whenever I hear, I've heard a few of these, is uh, these podcasts about the experiences from law enforcement is you see things, you know, obviously from their perspective. And they're dealing with, uh, they're not responding to really good stuff. You know, they're responding well, they're to there. a robbery yeah. and, and domestic violence. Yeah, we're calling, and they're yeah. seeing, we're uh, calling for help. They're seeing, the, they're seeing sinful people doing sinful things. And I think that's, uh, I mean, f- so that is another aspect of that where it's an awareness. I mean, uh, obviously you're, you're going into harm's way in the difficult areas in both things we just talked about, but you're also bringing a lot of awareness Yes. And uh, that's that's what's awesome is uh, some maybe somebody's out there they don't even think through these things but you know this sex, there's uh, uh, sexual trafficking being going on in our country uh, and yes. worldwide and and there's there's uh, these uh, men and women in blue are, are you know at war with uh, you know fallen humanity doing some really bad stuff 
they're trying to hold this thing together. So I think uh, that's fantastic, uh, both aspects of those things. I think you can learn a lot, and you can be informed just by, uh, you know, re- listening to one of those podcasts uh, and kind of seeing, kind of get you a new perspective. Well, I had I hadn't even thought about the fact that um, things it's it's much more dangerous now. So yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it's it's people a, like don't want to like who would want to be a police well, officer? Yeah, I mean, like, they, uh, you have the liability issues, which um, you got to really want to serve, man. You, you do. And, you got to have a calling. And <laughs> it's it's just listening to the podcast. It's 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 um, you're you're right. I mean, when the police officers are recounting the experience. I mean, it, it gets into incredible detail. Um, and these were, like you said, shootings that took place a long time ago. So they made a huge impact. Uh, but thank God that uh, we still have uh, men and women that are willing to yeah. go do that job. It's Praise a, God for that. Um, you know, it's a tough job. It's getting tougher. Um, a lot of scrutiny. And I, um, I'm, I'm glad you're doing the podcast because I think that's what we have to do. I think we have to do educate, especially educate the population a lot of misinformation out there um, on just how difficult this job is, and thank God there's people out there doing it. So thank you for, for starting that podcast. I certainly uh, enjoyed listening uh, uh, to the episodes that you've, you've posted already. Uh, how often are you doing that, that podcast? Yeah, we're trying to do it once a month, but, of course, I'm, you know, I'm gone sometimes a month, month at a time for uh, other work to um, um, help fund everything else. So... Um, but we're trying to do it once a month. But we're, we've got uh, um, six guests lined up mm-hmm. right now coming on. I mean, uh, yeah, and they're they're uh, you know they're one's known as the cop who ruined Christmas because he had Santa Claus in the back of his car when he was he was going from grade school to grade school when he got in a shooting and it was a, he was about I think thirty or forty minutes into the shooting. State police were there. And I think some state trooper came up, tapped him on the shoulder, and goes. You realize you got Santa Claus in the back of the car, and he totally forgot about it. And, and uh, of course, <laughs> Santa Claus couldn't go to any more uh, events at the grade schools because of uh, the experience he, he he had in the back of the cars. There was bullets flying through the windshield. So that'll be a great podcast. And um, yeah, but yeah, that's what we do. And you know, we there's there's some just great people. One of the ones that there's a bunch of them, they all touched me, but one of them was a guy named George, and he had. Um, he got shot in the face in a pawn shop right in the head, point blank. And he chased the guy down the street. They exchanged, I don't know, 15, 20 rounds. And finally, he had so much blood in his eyes after three or four blocks of chasing this guy in this gun battle. Um, and uh, this happened in a city I worked in, actually. So I knew the whole incident very well. A tow truck driver who was a Marine that had been in Desert Storm saw the whole incident happen on the street, was you know, rolling down the street. He jumped out and said, can I help you? And George said, I had to trust somebody because I couldn't see. And he says, the, the guy, is he, what, what's the condition of the guy? And he says, he's on his stomach and I can't see the gun. And he said, well, just tell me if he gets, you know, turns towards me or whatever. And then cover arrived. But that, you know, a uh, young uh, Marine corporal, uh, um, you know, probably say, you know, helped save his life. So, you know, it's a, it, they're great stories. Yeah, that's fantastic. And the, uh, yeah, guys, if you just le- uh, if you you didn't catch that, it's uh, silentbridge.org, and then Shots Fired is the name of the podcast. One wonderful content. Uh, if your uh, your heart went out for uh, these young women, uh, these girls, in some instances that are 
uh, drawn into this evil uh, net overseas, and, and uh, you want to you want to get involved, you can go to the the website silentbridge.org. Uh, there's opportunities for you to volunteer and to give, and so I'd encourage you to go to that. The uh, <clears throat> and for the work you're doing over there, Randy, uh, my heart goes out to you too, man. I know that you uh, you carry those people in your heart. And that's why you're doing what you're doing. So I, I appreciate that. And I see that as godly work. And uh, may the Lord bless the work of your hands that you're doing. God bless you, sir. Yeah, thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. And, and thank you too, Mike, for your time. I really appreciate both of you. Yeah, thank yes, you sir. for thank you for uh, taking a little bit of time out of your busy day. And uh, we'll definitely um, you know, be talking about maybe doing one of these trips with you later on down the road. Mm-hmm. We'll harrow yeah. at you later there, sir. God bless you. Yes, sir. God bless you, too. You guys have a great day, and happy new year. Happy uh, new year. Thank you. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Pinelander podcast. If you enjoy our unique content, please consider supporting our sponsors. Soft News provides special operations news from around the world. It's where Paul and I go to keep abreast of what's going on within the soft community. Check them out at soft.news. American Partisan is the vanguard movement of Western civilization. Be sure to check them out at AmericanPartisan.org. And, of course, Blacksmith Publishing. We've been serving the warrior class since 2013. They have great titles written for warriors, by warriors. If you're looking for uh, excellent reference material or just want to enjoy a great novel, be sure to check out the bookstore. Or if you enjoy hanging out with warriors, come spend some time with us in the G-Base over at the Pinelander Podcast. All that's at blacksmithpublishing.com. Until our next meeting, stay mentally and tactically smart, physically and spiritually strong, and socially astute. To each other, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. May God continue to bless Pineland.